you will come please and give us our sermon out of the abundance of the heart. might also add how marvelous and how wonderful are his words that are apropos for this day and age. In Matthew, the 12th chapter, it seems like you can open up anywhere and find an understanding about the, the age that we live in from the words of that Jesus speaks. And beginning in verse 33, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. He says, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. It's interesting that We hear and we understand. The complication is, how do we hear? How do we understand? If we were a product of the evolutionary undirected process that they say, this would be a, a very difficult question to answer. How did hearing come about so that we could hear? How did sight come about so that we could see? How did touch come about so that we could feel? How did taste come about so that we could taste? How did those five senses come about by the fiat of evolutionary process. And how could we understand anything by the evolutionary process? That one sense, hearing, is always kind of fascinating, isn't it? That the word that I just spoke, where does it go? It goes out there and hits you. <laughs> in the ear. I have a little short, very short um, thing that was on the internet about the ear and hearing. This animation will demonstrate how natural hearing works. The outer part of the ear, the pinna, catches approaching sound waves and funnels them down the ear canal. Both the pinna and ear canal naturally minimize background noise while selectively amplifying frequencies specific to human speech. As the sound wave reaches the end of the ear canal, it causes the tympanic membrane, commonly referred to as the eardrum, to vibrate and engage the three tiny bones of the ossicular chain. First, the malleus, then the incus, and finally the stapes. These tiny bones act as levers magnifying the vibration picked up from the eardrum on its way to mechanically stimulating the cochlea. The stapes transfers the mechanical energy from the vibration to the cochlea by pushing the cochlea's oval window. This causes a wave to travel through the fluid-filled cochlea, stimulating thousands of tiny hair-like cells which send an electrical signal off to the brain for interpretation. The result is your hearing a sound. Now, I was going to read that. Then when I saw all those words, I thought, no, I better not do that. I'll see if I can find something on the Internet. You see how complex this physical process is. But that's not all there is. That's a physical process 
<clears throat> that goes on whenever a sound hits our ear. Even from the womb, they have found out that a baby can recognize sounds. A mama, a daddy, siblings, they can recognize those sounds. And it's interesting, after birth, as a child grows and, and matures, those sounds become understanding. The sound of a bell, a train's horn. We have a cuckoo clock in the house, and all the kids love the cuckoo clock. Every hour it cuckoos that hour. And they want to hear it more often than just the end of the hour, so they'll go in there and mess with it so they can hear that cuckoo. It's amazing that we have this understanding of the sounds that we have in this society, in this life. None of this makes sense if we're a product of that evolutionary womb, does it? None of this makes sense. The answer has always been available for all of mankind to find out how we perceive, how we understand, how we hear. And it's been around for a very, very long time. Even from the beginning. Way, way back there. Let's go to Genesis, the second chapter, and find out something that God did right from the beginning. Now, those scientists and evolutionists are not going to believe what I'm going to tell us today. And even if they watch this on some time down in the future, they're not going to believe what we say, what is said here today, because they reject the Word of God. But it's the only explanation that makes any sense. When we come into this world with the abilities that we have and grow to understand as we understand, there is no other process except a living, powerful being who is able to create this complexity that we know of as the human life. In Genesis, the second chapter, in beginning in verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold that was in that land is good. There is beryllium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, or Jihon. The same is that compasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel. That is which it goes towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to dress it and to keep it. And here's the command that he gave, as we had heard in the first message, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in that day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. God said it's not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. For for Adam there was not found a helpmate for him. God gave him the ability to speak, because he named the animals, he gave him the ability to reason and to say, that's an elephant. I don't know what he called it back then, but we call it an elephant today. The thing with the long trunk and the, you know, roars and tusks. 
the fowls of the air. He named those. God gave Adam that ability to reason that out, to think that through, and to be able to, to name those. In Genesis, the 11th chapter, God did one more thing. And no one will believe this either unless they believe this word, unless they truly understand that this is the word of God. The whole earth, verse 1 of chapter 11, the whole earth was of one language and one speech. After that flood, and all of mankind were drowned, killed, and only Noah and his sons and wives. Mankind began, was still of one speech and one language. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime that they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may, be, may reach to the heavens, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And that God had already told them that he wanted them to spread out on the earth. And they were disobeying him. It's typical of mankind. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of, of men built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language. And they begin to do, and, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down there and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from upon the face of the whole earth, and they left off to build the city. It was God that gave the languages that man would spread all over the earth. That was God's intent and purpose for mankind, not to just clump into a city and begin to rule over one another in that city by a great ruler, Nimrod, but to spread all over the earth and truly to spread his will and his way over the earth if we understood God's purpose and plan for mankind. Language came from God. We still need a deeper understanding, don't we? We need a deeper understanding because the physical process that we just witnessed here and the fact that God gave these things to man still doesn't explain everything that is involved in our understanding of language and the processes that we go through in the complicated if you really sit down and meditate on it and think about it, language, speech, hearing, and all of those things are very complex. Very complex. And like Reg was saying, that you know, the, if you have an accident on the head or something like that, you can lose a part of that motor process that might, you know, that helps you in that particular area. But there's something deeper, something that goes even deeper that we need to have an understanding of that process. David had this to say in Psalms 139. It's a beautiful psalm. Um, and David was so beautiful in his praises of God. And he says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. And I've read this one before, but in the context that we're talking about and learning and the speech and those things, think about what David is saying. You know my downsitting and my uprising. You understand my thought afar off. You compass my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. There, there's, a, there's something special in all human beings that God can see and, and understand and, and even hear that process. Of course, those of, of us who are close to God, or his children, he especially has a, a, a closeness to us. But he created all human beings. And so that process is there for all of humanity. 
if they would just understand it and not believe the evolutionary process. Well, there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. You have beset me before, behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend upon, uh, up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall light about me. Yea, the darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you have possessed my reins. You cover me in my mother's womb. I wonder if God knows all the babies before they're born, understands that process, loves his creation. I know he loves his creation. He wouldn't have given his son if he didn't love his creation. And I'm sure it saddens him to see the way we are. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We just saw that. That's an amazing thing <laughs> to watch. Who would have come up with that little three-bone thing? <laughs> you know, that as those sounds hit, that little thing you know, is out there tapping that sound out into your, back into your brain so that it goes into your, into your mind. That's, that's a marvelous thing. That's fearfully and marvelously made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now, as a creator being, anyone that creates something and, and, and really likes the, the creation of whatever he did, really painting or whatever, there's a, there's a possessive desire that that be good or perfect, especially with God. He would like for us, you know, all to have that perfection. And it's available. In 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, I know as Reg was going through this, I know he was anxious to get to, the, to this part, so I'll, you know, I can't cover this as much as I would like to also, but here is the, here's what we understand. This is what we understand. There's something in man that's different than just the physical soul. Just that being that's there. We are marvelously made, but there's more. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him. What we have embedded in us from conception, I would say, considering that the baby seems to recognize things and is mobile and from very early on, that spirit is there, given. I don't know how it works. It's a marvelous thing that God has done. But it's the, it's the way that man has of understanding the things of man. To be able to create as God creates. Look at the athletes that are in the Olympics. And they train and they work hard. Their minds are developed. You watch those uh, ladies doing those gymnastics and wonder how in the world do they do that? That beam, it doesn't look like it's very wide. And yet they were able to, to jump around on it like they were on the ground. And it's an amazing thing that God has created. You have to, you have to, to, to look out and see God's 
hand in our abilities, in our um, the things that we can do. Hold your place here in First Corinthians, the second chapter, and let's let's do uh, one quick thing here. And look what Jesus said. In John, the sixth chapter, one verse tells it all. It's a powerful verse revealing something about our hope for the future. It is the Spirit that quickens. It is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. As Reg mentions, Reg mentioned that it goes into the, the grave, and, and that's it. We go back to dust. This is the only hope that we have. It's right here. The words that Jesus spoke right here. It is the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit. And they are truth. They are spirit and they are truth. So what that's saying is that when we speak the words or when we read the words, they affect the spirit within us. They affect the spirit within us. Go back to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Unless God reaches out and touches an individual, we know with a calling, he understands with the human perception. He understands with that human perception. Even so, it says, even so, the last part of, of 11, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. So what we come to understand here is that that Spirit that is given to us at baptism as we're going to have today, that spirit that's given as it, that new creation. We begin to understand the spiritual things. God leads us and directs us and guides us up to that point, but then he gives us the spirit so that we can truly grow. Truly grow in his grace and his knowledge and in the belief in the words of God and understanding that this is his word is truly spirit and truth. Powerful words, the message that's in the Bible. Part two is right and wrong. Go back to Matthew, the 12th chapter now, as we research the words that Jesus said to expound on them in the light of of the understanding that the Spirit of God is directing and guiding and helping us. And even though we're influenced by the world around us, he says in verse 3, either make the tree good and its fruit good, verse 33 of chapter 12, or else make the tree corrupt or rotten and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. The tree is known by its fruit. What he's saying is we're known by the fruit that we produce. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, we're all very familiar with this, these verses in here. We're familiar with the rotten fruit, beginning in verse 9. These are the works of the flesh. This, this is the rotten fruit that can be produced in a human being. And sometimes even good Christian individuals believing Christian individuals develop these rotten fruits in their life. It's not good, but sometimes it happens. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
we're going to see where it fits in what Jesus said. One day, the words and the actions and the way that we live are going to follow us into the kingdom and God is going to ask certain questions and our life is going to be revealed. Preferably, it is the Spirit of God that's working in us building these. The Spirit builds this kind of fruit and this is good fruit. This is the kind of fruit that we want to be growing in our life. Love, joy, peace. I mean, those are quieting words. We all understand from our, from our life that when we talk about true love, the love of God, the love of one to another, that deep love, that respect for one another, that love that passes all understanding, joy that can come from understanding what God has for us in His kingdom. Peace, because we, our mind is, is at peace. We know that we are temporal beings and that we're going to go into that grave. We're going to die. But there's a peace that comes from God's Holy Spirit helping us to understand that we have the hope of the kingdom of God. Faith. Believing what God says and living by it. Meekness. Temperance. I miss some. No, I didn't. Long, yeah, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there's no law. If we could embody all of those fruits in our life and really live by every one of those fruits, there'd be no law against us because those are the fruits that a fully spirit-filled person would have as Jesus had when he walked the face of this earth. Those are his fruits. As he told them, you can see by their fruit what kind of person they are. Let's go back to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Pick a couple more verses. He says, O generation of vipers, Jesus never did hold back. He was always outright and forthright with anybody he talked to. How can you being evil, speak good things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's telling us that something deep down in the very person, it's a spiritual thing that's there, isn't it? That affects us in good or bad ways, evil ways or good ways. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. Good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And we've seen good things that people do. Selfless things. We saw <clears throat> at the situation in, in Aurora, Colorado, we saw a very evil thing happen. And yet we saw some very selfless people give their life to save someone else. It's, it's hard, you know, that person that was saved, it's hard for, to understand how to, to really relate to the death of someone they might have been quite close to who fell over them so that they would be killed so that they could survive. And it happened to a couple of, of people in that situation. Right there at the end of their life, they sacrificed their life that someone else might live, someone that they love might live. And yet that evil person for whatever purpose, whatever reason, whatever the situation was, destroyed all of those people. You know, it's not the first time those things have happened. And it's the way of the world. And maybe it's getting worse. I don't know. Sometimes I think it is. 
Turn to Romans, the 8th chapter, we shall look at the answer in the Bible to those things, because those can be answered. Beginning in verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. There is a world in which all they mind is the things that are fleshly, worldly, without any goals, without any cares. They drink themselves to death or they take drugs till they're out of their mind. Whatever. They are a part of the fleshly world. But there is things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, which means just to have the natural normal mind, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To have that Spirit of God. To give us that confidence, that faith, that we have a hope and we have a loving God. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's an enemy of God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. He says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That Spirit is going to, to, to direct our life towards a righteous living life, to, to obey God. Let's go to, um, back to Matthew, the 12th chapter, as we look at Jesus' words. And you can think about all of the things in the world that this relates to. He says, I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give judgment thereof. Verse 36 and 37. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. It's interesting that we live in a society today in which we have isolated social interaction. <laughs> I don't even know how to put it. Um, we can socially be close to people without ever being close to anyone <laughs> through the Twitter um, and all of the different uh, other things uh, that are in the Facebook, um, just emails. I mean, it's all—it's endlessly on and on and on. And they—and I'm sure there's somebody out there trying to think of a new way to come up to make it even more sociable online and it's an there's an interesting parallel there's an interesting parallel here um, between I don't know how to put this the um, ninth commandment bearing false witness and the Sabbath The, and you wouldn't think they were related, but the fact that we have to come, God commands us to come together, to be together, means that we have to socialize on a face-to-face -face basis. And it's interesting today that you can socialize over the internet and be as nasty and ugly and filthy as you want to be and no one can be the wiser because you can hide yourself. You can be an ugly, filthy person and you can hide yourself in that social network on the internet. God wants us as his children to come together and to learn to live and to love one another on a social basis one to one. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, there's some things that God hates with a passion. 
says he hates it, then he has it. it's an abomination to him. So if he has both of those together, that means it must be pretty bad. And it's interesting that three out of them have to do with the Ninth Commandment. Maybe even four if you kind of stretch it a little bit. Verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. And I got a, the one I've got to underline, it's detest, it's hate, and the other one is detestable. <laughs> so God has a, uh, a deep aversion to people that have these kind of characteristics. A proud look. Here's the first one. A lying tongue. Right there. You know, we've always had this idea that the Ninth Commandment just meant, well, when you're on the witness stand, you're supposed to tell the truth. But the nuances of, the, of that, of, of the Ninth Commandment covers all of the lies and the half-truths and everything and the little into windows and the gossiping and all of that is covered under that. God does not like lying. He does not like people who shed innocent blood. He doesn't like people that devise wicked imaginations and then carry them out by killing people. and feet that are swift running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. Three of those things covered in the ninth commandment. Lying, false witness, and he that's spreading lies in the congregation. We're supposed to come together in love and concern for one another. And on the side, you know, we might be talking about somebody and putting them down. That's not what God wants in His congregation. He wants us to love one another and to be concerned for one another. In the same book of Proverbs, verse 23, or chapter 23, Proverbs 23, this has always been an interesting proverb to me because in one sense it's a positive Thing, and in another sense, it's a very negative. He says, Eat you not the bread of him that has an evil eye, neither desire you his dainty meats. Now, how in the world do you know if somebody <laughs> invites you in, they've got an evil eye? Well, sometimes you can tell, can't you? This guy that they've got on the witness, you know, they, they brought in who did this killing, his eyes are wide open and he's staring and he said nothing. And it's like he's possessed. I mean, I know that the modern society doesn't want to believe in the demons. But maybe he got his mind corrupted through drugs or alcohol or whatever. And the demons said, oh, this is a wonderful place. I just love this guy. I'm going to go in there and possess him for a while. Now, I'm not excusing what he did, but sometimes it does happen. You open your mind up, and they can come in. And they can destroy your very being and any spirit or anything that was there. And he says, For he thinks in his heart, so is he. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That's a positive thing. In your heart, if you have the goodness and the good things in your heart, those are things that will come out, just as Jesus said. And if you've got good fruit in there, if you've got goodness, those are words that will come out and they will be good. But if they're evil and that is boiling up inside of you, they're going to come out and they're going to affect those around you. Eat and drink, says he to you but his heart's not with you. The morsel which you have eaten shall you vomit up 
and lose your sweet words. This is deviousness. This is pure evil. And you have just partaken of it in whatever way you've partaken of. James covers this pretty, pretty interestingly in uh, James, the third chapter, on talebearing and, and gossiping and, and those kind of things that sometimes get to us. And they, as God's children, we shouldn't have that problem. Now, you know, if there's, a, if there's a real evil going on, it needs to be brought out. And it needs to be revealed. But when it's just tail-bearing and gossiping, those are things that the Bible condemns. My brethren, be not, verse 1 of, of um, James, the third chapter, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> if you don't offend somebody all the re oh, for your whole life, you're a perfect man. And it's hard to do that, isn't it? It's hard to live in a society and not offend somebody. Not say something that might, you know, offend a person. And able to bridle the whole body. You're able to be under control if your words are pure and spiritual and good and righteous. He says, behold, we, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Behold also ships, which though they be so great, are driven by fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, wherever the governor lists. It's not a very big, it's not a very big thing underneath there that can turn that ship. And that can be huge ships. These oil tankers are huge. Yet their little helm under there is a small thing in comparison to that ship. Now, it may take them a while to turn that ship, but it still is going to turn that ship. Even so, the tongue is kind of a little member, small member, boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. Do you realize how many innocent people can be destroyed? through a lie. And today, because we have such a, a, such a high-speed society, you can learn things from across the world in an instant through the Internet. You know, if you've, if you've got the right app, you can watch the, the Olympics real time. If you want to stay up for it or be at that time when they're doing it, you can watch it real time. You, it's, it's instantaneous today. So we can destroy a person who is innocent in an instant, through a few words, in the windows, lies. It don't take much. And it's awful hard to convince people that it's a lie. It's really hard. That's why the Bible is so down on those things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among, the, among our members. That it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and, and birds and serpents and of things in the sea is tame and has been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. From a Jewish perspective, <laughs> and for, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. It's called Shattered Tablets, Why We Ignore the Ten Commandments at Our Own Peril. The guy's name is David Klinghoffer, and some of the things are very interesting because he lives in Seattle, Washington, of all places. And he's, he says this is one of the, the sin capital of the world. And they, you know, as I mentioned before, 
they still, in Washington, uh, bestiality is still legal. The only state in the union, uh, if they've changed it, I, I, I take my words back, but as of this writing, and, and I haven't heard any different, they still allow it. So they are very liberal in his state. And he has a whole chapter on the, tenth, uh, the Ninth Commandment, bearing false witness. He says in this way, gossip has its roots, has its root, the temptation to view yourself as godlike. Quite interesting. In your power to pierce the layers of obscurity that guard the human heart. Almost invariably, the really interesting piece of gossip doesn't report merely about facts, but also about motivations and feelings. It seeks to report not just about what, but about why. It recounts what another person did and purports to explain what that meant. Alter uh, alternatively, it takes a fragment of fact, spins that fragment into a rich and complex narrative, narrative web, web that seeks to explain the action and uh, the, the motives behind that action. However, these are things, reasons, motives, feelings we often can't know even under the most favorable circumstances where we've had a chance to interview the subject of our story at length. It's for these reasons that the best rumor or gossip is almost invariably not only morally wrong but factually inaccurate. Verse 9, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made of the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. He says, Brethren, these ought not to be so. Does the fountain send forth the same Place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good, and that really means good favor, good conduct, his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish, as we heard in the first message. It comes from the great liar, Satan the devil, and from our society that we live in. For where envyings and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. One last word. It's found in Philippians. If we're to think on something and we'd like to have something good to think on. The Bible has a suggestion. And it's found in the fourth chapter, and I think most of us are very familiar with this, but under the light of the things that are in the world that we live in today, the society that we have to live in, the things that affect us on a daily basis, it's important that we turn to the scriptures and ask God to give us that peace that we need, the, quite, the, the kind of speech, the words that will edify, will strengthen, will make a person joyous and happy, might even give them some peace in their life if they're suffering with some problems. In a meek way, we could reach out to someone, even our own brethren, and help in some way. He says, be careful for nothing, verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
let your request be known to God. So that's the first step that all of us need to do who are God's children. We come to God and we, we come before him in a humble way and ask him to guide and lead us. And it says, The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the whole point of what the Bible is all about is us being more Christ-like as we walk on this earth and we look forward to the kingdom of God and being with God. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. Sometimes it's hard to find honest people and honest things. I'm at work. We've had a tremendous turnover. And a lot of it's been that the people are thieves or, or worse. <laughs> We've had terrible time where we, and they're all, there's a lot of guys at work that have worked on rigs and yet they just have a terrible background. And it's hard to find good people to work out there because of their honesty. They're just not honest. But that's what we should be, honest. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report. If there is any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. We're inundated with the terrible things of the world that we live into today. And we need to take time to meditate on the good things that God has given us, the spirit that's in us that helps us to understand his word in a, in a deeper, more profound way. And I, this came about from Lawrence's message on the, the language and the tongue, and I got to thinking, God has blessed us with many languages. And man refused to, to go all over the world, but by doing that, we now have a diversity of peoples. And you watch the Olympics and those different societies. It's so amazing. They come together for the Olympics, but we hate one another any other time. <laughs> it's, it, and just watching those people, the difference in them, the clothes, the, the different clothes, it is so wonderful. I look forward to the kingdom of God when all of this diversity can come together in peace and harmony and know their creator. Know their creator. These are the things that we should think on. The kingdom of God coming to this earth, the peace that he's going to bring, and the peace that we can have today because of God's Holy Spirit. Whenever you open the Bible and look what Jesus said, it is so today. I don't know how else to put it. It is so today. You can, you can see where his words apply, even though they were written so long ago. They apply to this modern society and to us who are the children of God.